This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Thank you so much for being here. This is going to be a very informative podcast. We have so much to cover and so much great information, and hopefully, some good solutions to the current massive problem that we have right now. So, this podcast is called How to Solve the Elder Care Crisis. Many of you know that we are in a place that we have never been before in history. So it is the first time that our aging population has grown to this enormous number, projected for decades to come to continue growing. And at the same time, we have a very, very complicated healthcare system that is becoming less and less about bedside care. We're just not able to, as medical professionals, spend the amount of time that is required to really be with patients, especially the elderly, especially those at end of life. So for those of you who do not know me, I'd like to just share a little bit about my background. My name is Suzanne O'Brien, and I am a registered nurse that has worked most of my nursing career in hospice care, which is end-of-life care, and or oncology care, which is cancer care. And I have been on a platform for the last over a decade, for the last 10 years plus, trying to help solve the massive gaps in care for those at the end of life, and now dialing it back even further for that aging population, the population that is elderly, that have chronic illnesses, that have challenges on many different levels that are not being met by our mainstream medical systems. So we're going to talk today about the answers and the solutions, what might help this present elder care crisis. And I have been really working on this for a very long time um, because every time we don't have something go well, especially an end-of-life experience, we can't go back and do that again. So for me as a medical practitioner, as a human being, as somebody who just cares, um, we have to do better. There has to be another answer. I've worked with over a thousand people at the end of life to support them and their families in all different settings, different countries, different cultures, different economic statuses. And I can tell you that working with so many and seeing so much suffering at the end of life, in addition to the fact that people are saying goodbye to somebody they love, is tragic and is unnecessary. And so we have to do better. Again, we have one chance to do this correctly. Seven out of 10 families polled say that they did not have a positive end-of-life experience with their loved one. Seven out of 10. We want to change those statistics. It should be one out of 10. It should be none out of 10. So what are we going to do in order to make that happen? So let me just start with a few of the current statistics that we have right now facing us that created this crisis of our 
elder population and end of population. So we have 76 million people over the age of 65 in the United States at this very moment. 20% of the 76 million people do not have their own children. So it's usually adult children that will care for that elderly parent, especially at the very end. Not always, by the way. Um, it depends on the circumstances, but usually it'll be an adult child that will take on the caregiving or at least uh, managing the care giving for an elder parent. There's 20% of that 76 million don't even have that option. And nine out of 10 people polled said that they would like to be cared for in the home environment when they become terminally ill. So all of these elements are creating again that perfect storm for how we are really not having a positive end of life um, for most people at this time. Death is also the second leading fear in this country the combination of all of it has created this very dysfunctional relationship with not only end of life, but with the whole aging population. The other factor. So for the first time in history, we have an aging population that we have never seen before. So there is no template. There is no how to deal with this. What works, what doesn't work. We've never seen this before. The first time in our lives, we have 6 million people over the age of 85 in the United States. So good news, bad news. Okay, so good news, we're living so very long. Bad news is that we're usually living with at least one or multiple chronic illnesses in those aging years. And we're not necessarily at a terminal diagnosis. We're not at a six month or less diagnosis, but we have chronic illnesses that need special care, special considerations, financial considerations. Um, maybe somebody that needs to physically be there all the time, part of the time, there are so many elements to the advanced aging and the care that is needed and also especially at the end of life. So what are we going to do? At the same time that we have this aging population that we have never before seen in history, on the other side of it, we have a healthcare system that is breaking down, that is becoming less and less available to provide that bedside care, to provide that holistic, one-on-one, -on -one teaching, listening, all of it. Um, I know people who have, and I was just talking to somebody yesterday who is 80 years old and they have a serious issue with their back, um, lots of pain, got into, took a couple of weeks to get into one pain doctor for the back. Then that doctor said, you need to go to a pain doctor so you need to have an MRI, then go to a pay. Like there are weeks being drawn out where this woman is really suffering and in a lot of pain. And she is one that is privileged enough to have great insurance, to have finances to help her. And she still is getting lost within the system. So lots of people are talking about the silver tsunami, the crisis that we have upon us with the elderly population. But I'm not hearing about the solutions. I'm not hearing about the answers. 
Last two weeks, I was at an event. I was lucky enough to go to an event that I'm going to share with you um, some information in New York City about just this, about this topic. What are we going to do? It was specifically about end of life, and I want to share with you what the event was. So it was an event, again, in New York City that was about the new book, A Beginner's Guide to End of Life Care. And why I want to share this is because, again, I'm really um, so excited about a lot of the conversation and proactive um, tools that are coming out, whether it's books or just people speaking out about how to make end of life better, how that we can support. And this book is a new book by some really wonderful people. So it's by Dr. B.J. Miller, who is a palliative care doctor from San Francisco, California. And... I always really want to honor the doctors that come out and share that the inside of the system is not the answer. It's not enough. That we all as practitioners and myself as a nurse and all of the people that do the incredible work that they do in our medical world, they are under such stress and so many Um, conditions as far as how many patients they have to see, how much documentation they have to do, how much time they are allotted with each patient. It's impossible to do the care the way that we want to do the care, the way that's needed within the mainstream medical system. And for a doctor to come out and to share the reality of that, um, I really want to honor. And Atul Gawande is another doctor being mortal who does that. So this is a new book, again, by Dr. B.J. Miller and Shoshana Berger. So it's a wonderful, wonderful guide and tool, and it's called The Beginner's Guide to the End of Life. And I was at this event, and there was a lot of people at this event who, again, understand that it's not going well, are very concerned. There were a lot of people in the audience that were concerned in that latter part of their life, that last third, of what are we going to do? What are the answers? How can I get my wishes honored? What are my choices? They don't even know that they have choices because going back to the death being the second leading fear is that we don't talk about this subject. We have pretended for the last 80 to 100 years that death almost doesn't exist, that it's optional. And so with that, how can we make empowered choices for ourselves and know what to do, what what options we have if we don't even have the conversation? Well, The conversation needs to be had. And I want to share with you that talking about end of life is talking about life. And when you live with the awareness that death will one day be part of your journey, you do yourself such a world of good because you live every day with the awareness, even if it's subconscious in the back of your mind, you live with the knowledge and the awareness that one day the journey will not be the way you know it today. And with that comes a way different perspective of how you live every day, what's important to you, not sweating the small stuff, being connected um, more than achieving things. So we really want to look into this and we also really want to reap the benefits of befriending end of life on many levels. Now, the practical side of it is that when you plan ahead, when you know that you have choices and you know what choices that you would like, 
end of life can go 80 to 90% better no matter what your disease process is. This is the study that I've done with all of my end of life clients. The few that did have very good end of lives, I studied what elements made that so. It wasn't because of the disease process. It wasn't for how that disease progressed, how that end of life progressed. It was the elements of planning ahead, living with the awareness that they knew that one day the end of life experience would be upon them. They lived so much fuller than we do if we pretend that it's never going to come upon us. And they also had, again, some basic tools and understanding about what their wishes um, were going to be at that time. And that changed everything. So I really want you to understand that because everyone should have, again, uh, the most positive end of life possible. So I was at this event for the book, The Beginner's Guide to End of Life, BJ Miller, Shoshana Berger. And we were all kind of, they were asking lots of questions, talking about, yes, identifying the problems in the mainstream medical system, identifying that we have a huge population for end of life, for aging, and we don't have systems set up for it. So again, for decades to come, we are going to look at those numbers increasing and increasing. I think by the year 2030, there's going to be one out of six people will be senior. First time ever. So at the very end, they were doing an open Q&A. And this is really what I want to dive into today. And this woman stood up and she said to BJ Miller, said to Dr. Miller, if you had an angel donor and they could write, they're going to write you a check for any amount of money that you wanted what would you do with that money? What would the answer be to solve this issue? You have all the money that you ever needed. What would be the issue? And he thought about it first. Of course, we all kind of got excited by that thought of having an angel donor with an unlimited uh, amount on a check. But really what was important is hearing what, that, what we would do with that money. And he, from a doctor's perspective, he talked about the system, and he talked about fixing things within the healthcare system, having more services, having more support, um, getting, you know, hopefully more staffing, all of that, because that's just a no-brainer. The number of doctors and people we have working in that space to the amount of people that need it are so dysfunctional and don't work. So he talked about fixing it from within the system. But I have to tell you that I think I have an answer and a solution that is outside of the system. That is a complement to the system. I have heard from day one, 10 years ago, when I started developing training programs and, and hopefully adjunct answers to help fill the gaps in what I was seeing um, within the education, care, and support for providing our patients and families um, the great services that we do as medical professionals. And from day one coming to CEOs of hospices and knocking on doors with hospital administrators with these training ideas and getting the feedback that they were great ideas. They were wonderful, but we just can't implement them because we would not be able to get reimbursed within the medical system structure. So they couldn't implement them and use them all because of the, the way that the structure is for how they get paid when they service um, it from insurance, when they service patients and families. It has to go in concrete categories that have to be documented, have to be obviously submitted, and then get paid for. And this extra education and support 
did not fit into any of those categories for reimbursement. So even though they loved the ideas and said, yes, absolutely, that would help tremendously, we're not going to get paid for it, so we can't do it. Well, that finally dawned on me that, well, don't reimburse me for it. Don't, don't get paid for it. So I started to give education pieces at public libraries in the location that I lived at, which is Dutchess County, New York, at the time. And it worked great. And the free, and I give free education. The free education for families would fill up. The rooms would fill up on beautiful autumn days, beautiful spring days, which, you know, is kind of like makes me chuckle that, you know, it's a day that we should all be outside doing great stuff. And here you are coming to a workshop talking about end of life. Um, but we're really talking about life. But it just validated how um, much people are starving for this, not only information, but this conversation and for a place that we can go to talk about this and get, and get again, our questions answered. And so the concept of hospice is beautiful. The model of hospice is a holistic model of care. We don't talk about end of life. Death is the second leading fear. So most people do not understand what hospice does or does not do, and they also don't understand the hospice benefit. How does hospice work? And so there is a huge pitfall um, for many people. The model of hospice is that the hospice nurse manages the care of that dying patient. However, I am supposed to teach the loved ones how to do that care. They're in the home environment. They're caring for their loved one. I come in, do an assessment, update care plans, but I am supposed to teach that family how to actually do that care. And that is virtually impossible because of a few things. Number one, if my patient is stable, I am only there once a week, sometimes for one hour. It's not a lot of time. Number two, people are so fearful of end of life and they don't have any of the knowledge of end of life. Most of us haven't seen it. We haven't even seen our elderly family members age on a daily basis. We don't know what that looks like. So this is all brand new. Death is the second leading fear. So because of these elements, because people are coming on hospice services very late, in fact, the median number, average number of days on hospice services is 14 when hospice services are good from six months time of diagnosis or less, 14 days. As a hospice nurse, if I come in a few times for one hour, am I really gonna be able to teach you how to care for that loved one? It's virtually impossible. So the time to learn this skill that by the way, a hundred years ago was handed down from grandmother to grandchild, a hundred years ago, the average age of life was 46. Today, it's 80. That's huge. And so because we've gotten so far removed from seeing end of life, from seeing aging, people don't know the first thing about it. It is scary. There's this whole fear that has been built up around it. Also, in the last 100 years, we have taught our medical doctors how to keep people alive. We've made huge medical advances in a way that's fantastic, right? That's very exciting. However, 100% guaranteed that we will all have our end of life at some point. And I think we forgot to let doctors know about that as well and teach them about how to do that wonderful care they do at that time. Not say, I'm sorry, you have a terminal diagnosis, there's no more I can do for you. Stop. 
there's so much we can do for somebody and their families. So we've just gotten in this place of this perfect storm. And we have literally taught doctors that if a patient dies, they've failed. I've seen doctors walk down the hallway with their heads down with a 96-year-old patient that finally died with cancer all over, and they feel like they failed. I think we're doing something wrong here. So we need to, again, embrace the fact that death is a natural part of our life's journey, and it can go well with the right education, kindness, and support. So how are we going to do this? So when I started today's podcast, it was how we can solve the elder care crisis. Note that I didn't say just the end of life crisis, because we have so much care that we need to give, not only again for end of life, but for that elder population that is so vulnerable and so in need of support that is not available right now. So when we say from the inside of the system, let's try and fix it. I think that you're going to be waiting a really long time, if at all, for that to actually happen. However, sticking with the concept of the hospice nurse, teaching the loved ones how to do the care, that's exactly what I took and put into all of my trainings. So what I did was take that concept, but, but build out a beautiful training from start to finish, teaching non-medical people how to sit with somebody, how to care for somebody in a holistic model, physically, emotionally, spiritual, because the best kind of care is holistic care in all of care. And unfortunately, in our mainstream medical system, we don't have the time that allots us to give that kind of care. Usually, we're putting Band-Aids on things. We really always are focusing on physical and usually very quickly. We're just kind of like patching up things. But real great care is, again, holistic care, mind, body, spirit. And you can teach non-medical practitioners to do this type of care as an adjunct support to that mainstream medical that is really overworked and overchallenged right now. They have so many patients that they can't possibly give. I want to say holistic care, but really care in general. We're just struggling even to make the basics happen. So bringing in a non-medical, professional, specialized area, holistic, to care for elderly, to care for those at the end of life, to do advanced care planning is the key to this whole shift in the culture of end of life. So most of you know that I have a company called Doula Givers, and doula actually is a Greek word that means non-medical person that gives physical, emotional, and spiritual support to someone else. So I thought, that is fantastic, and that is exactly what we want to do, is create non-medical professionals that give physical, emotional, and spiritual support to someone else. And so my company is Doula Givers. Doula and giving, and this started as that end-of-life practitioner. I am so honored to be you know, a pioneer in starting this end-of-life doula movement 10 years ago, and we are in full swing now on a national and international level. However, it's not enough to be coming in at the very end just for the end-of-life piece. It's not enough. A positive end-of-life starts all the way, all the way before 
before we're even ill, before we're even at that place of aging. And so for me, studying the people that had those positive end-of-life experiences where people who had their advanced directives done, who people who put that in place years before they ever needed it. So a big key component to this is to have, it's in threefold. My answer to solving the elder care crisis and our end-of-life crisis is in a threefold plan to have specialized professionals that do advanced care consulting. These are called doula giver specialists doula giver care consultants, not only are they educating in the advanced directive forms, healthcare proxies, pulsed forms, most forms, uh, Medicare, just understanding all of what is involved on that side of the paperwork, but we're talking about living well, end of life planning. We are living so very long for the first time in history and here are the, the variables, the missing variables. We don't know how long we're gonna live, each of us. We don't know what that's gonna look like as we age. Will we have cognitive mental problems? Will we have physical issues? Will we have financial issues? So many people are not aware of the cost of living so when people are on fixed incomes and have to live 20 years with needing to hire help um, in the house, these are astronomical things that we're not accounting for because we've never been in that place before, but we also don't exactly know what that looks like. So doula giver care consultants are people that will come in, educate again on the advanced care plan, but also on the living well end of life plans, letting people know the latest in. And what we do is plans A, B, and C. We shoot for plan A of what your top choice would be, where you'd want to age, how you want that to look, what does quality of life mean to you, and how we can accomplish that. And if we are not in the place at that time that you can have plan A, what is plan B? And then of course, what is plan C? because we actually don't know what that's gonna look like for all of us when we get there. So it's not gonna be a surprise. So we have a blueprint, and then we have our advanced directives done. So it's, it's critical to engage in this planning, just like you would for estate planning, what you would do your wills, your trusts. This is for the other side of it, the practical, and it works wonders. The second part of the phase is to have elder care doulas so taking the concept of the holistic, beautiful doula for end of life and bringing it back further to that aging population who is not at end of life yet, but needs and requires that and deserves that holistic professional caregiver to support them in their quality of life every day, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they are engaged um, have socialization in the things that bring them joy, and also preventing, again, any injury from happening as people decline. Um, and then the beautiful thing is that we already are in place for that end of life piece when it does come about, and we'll know it's going to come about. So having practitioners that can work with the elder population for decades, giving really great care, Right now, our elder, our elder population, I call them the forgotten population. There's no judgment here. We've just gotten so far removed from seeing our elderly, from having them be a part of our lives, 
from knowing what their needs are, um, that it's time to bring back that ethical, moral awareness that we need to be caring for them like they deserve. But we also have to understand what the needs are, what we're facing. So you have duly giver care consultants working with people before they ever get to that elderly or that end of life place. You have elder care doulas. Again, these are non-medical professionals trained to work with the elder population and give that great holistic care like everyone deserves. And then we have end of life doulas who are there giving that amazing, supportive, incredible care for not only the patient, but for the family as well at the end of life. So those three different phases and professions are the answer to bring a non-medical professional to take up the gap and to fill the need of this enormous amount of elderly and end of life with the best possible holistic care that we can ever give. And that is, again, duly giver, care consultants, elder care doulas, end of life doulas, and that's called the doula giver specialist. So the answer is not to solve the elder care crisis is not going to come from inside the system. I think we've been looking in the wrong place for the answer. The answer is going to come from outside the system with an adjunct to support the system. So when I have been working on this for 10 years um, and developing the programs out, there have been some great statistics that have come out that have been done data um, on the big scale of things that are confirming what I shared with you today and the answers. So one I want to share is in 2014, the National Institute of Health released a report called Dying in America, in which they discussed the future of end-of-life care. The report declared that there is a need to move towards person-centered, family centered care. So family-oriented care, again, you know that people want to die in the home, but also we want to support not only the patient and the family, and we need person-centered, family-oriented care models, so outside the system. Okay, so they're right on that. An increase in education and higher standards for advanced care planning. If we take one part of this phase, we win. If we do all three, there's going to be a complete shift in the culture of end of life for the positive. Those numbers at seven out of 10 did not go well. We're gonna see that go down to hopefully one out of 10, none out of 10. And so it validates that we need an increase in education and higher standards for advanced care planning, better trained end of life care providers. You need people who actually don't have time restrictions and can provide that bedside person-centered care without having to worry about seeing 20 patients. It's really hard on the mainstream medical providers right now. So better trained end-of-life care providers, revamped policy and payment systems. Okay, we're gonna hope that that happens eventually, but we're not gonna hold our breath for it because we have to do something now. We have to take action now and we can. 
So many end-of-life care experts are in agreement that over the course of the next decade, there is going to have to be a necessity to expand alternative care services in order to accommodate the aging baby boomer generation and keep people at home during end-of-life rather than residential care facilities. End-of-life doulas are non-medical persons trained to care. This is my putting into this, that end-of-care doulas are non-medical persons trained to care for someone holistically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually at the end of life, and are going to prove an intricate part of reshaping end-of-life care for the future. It's very exciting what's happening um, to be part of this. So there have been a few national initiatives that have taken on in the last two years supporting the end-of-life doula movement and profession. One is NIDA, the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance, which is a membership organization for all of end-of-life doulas practicing and trainers. They also have a core competency and assessment that end-of-life doulas can go and take and get a national badge, which is absolutely wonderful. So you can validate, again, there's no governing licensure and we don't want it to be. If there was a governing licensure for end-of-life doula profession, it would become just another one of the services provided within our mainstream medical system that would be fragmented, brought down to not being able to provide the care that's needed because of the time restrictions and because of the heavy documentation. So we want it to be a, not a government licensure. However, we want it to be the highest of standards and scope of practice, and it is. So Doula Givers is very proud to be upon the main pioneers in this movement, and we keep our standards and education to the highest possible. We also encourage every doula that goes through the program to get their need a badge so they can be validated by a third party and also walk through the door of patient families, homes, hospices, healthcare organizations, that they have their need a badge and they have their doula giver certification. In fact, just last week, another doula giver um, certified end-of-life doula was hired by a hospice in Florida for $50 an hour. This is incredible, this movement. So doula givers and the specialty, people are being hired by home health agencies, by hospices, um, and I feel like they're gonna be in every part of where services are offered. Most are in private practice. That's how I teach you. This is how the business uh, side of the doula giver profession and package is taught. However, agencies understand their limitations and are bringing doulas into their offerings, which is again, very exciting. So, solving the elder care crisis is first becoming very clear about the crisis itself. I have been saying that we have a crisis upon us for years, and I still don't hear it being called out the way that it is. We know this when we work inside the medical profession. We see the gaps in care. We see the suffering. We see the lack of staffing to the number of people in need. And we all know it's a crisis and not going well, but I don't know that every person outside of that is aware of it, but you need to be because this will affect you and your family, you and your communities. And we wanna put things in place now to offset again, the large number and decades to come the large numbers. So the non-medical professional is the answer 
to the elder care crisis and the end-of-life crisis. We are an adjunct to the mainstream medical practitioners who do an incredible job, who are under so much stress and it's almost impossible for them to accomplish great care under such really harsh conditions. The other thing that we need to solve the elder care crisis is for each and every one of us to take ownership, to get involved and advocate for our own care and wishes. B.J. Miller said this, Dr. B.J. Miller was saying that we have to stand up for what we want. Don't just wait for a doctor to have a terminal diagnosis or a critical diagnosis to give you prognosis and to have to go through every part of deciding what you would want, what you don't want, what options are. We need to do that. We need to start thinking about what would I like or not like? What is quality of life to me? We have to do our due diligence of doing our advanced directives, talking with our family about if this came upon where we needed more support, what would we do? How would we make that happen? And then when we get those illnesses or those terminal diagnoses, we have our plan already in place and our doctor can be an adjunct to supporting our wishes that we already made. So we want to help, again, free education, advocate for each other, and Doula Givers is proud to offer free end-of-life doula family caregiving training every month. I give it in New York City live in person once a month. I give it online live once a month, and I answer all of your questions. Online, I stay on sometimes for hours answering each question from participants so that you, again, feel empowered, feel comfortable, that you can move forward with, again, putting things in place for you and your family and just feeling more comfortable in this space. So if you'd like to take part in any of that, I'll put the links below, but doulagivers.com will have listings of all of the monthly free webinars in the communities and also online. Most people, again, can join from anywhere in the comfort of your own home. Periodically, we are, again, privileged to go out and travel into communities in different countries and give our free level ones. In fact, we have a World Training Day event that is on April 20th of every year where we give the level one events all over the world and all over the country for that whole week long from the 16th to the 22nd. We give level one end-of-life doula family caregiving and community support trainings everywhere. Last year was our first year and we did 26 trainings in six different countries. This year, I think you're going to see double to triple the amount. So you can also, I'll, I'll let you know and stay tuned for that. Hopefully there'll be one in your location. So I want to thank you so much for being here on this podcast today. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. When we support one another and share the education and information we have, we can make it better for each and every person. And I want to thank you for taking part in this. And please feel free to share the free monthly caregiver training that Doula Givers offers. Post it on Facebook. Share it with your friends. It's something that we want every person everywhere to be able to take part in if they so choose. That training changes everything for patients and families. So we are so positive about what the feedback has been, the results that it is our platform to share that for free with whoever would like to take that. So again, my name is Suzanne O'Brien. This is Ask a Death Doula podcast. Thank you so much for being here today, and I will see you all in the next episode.
Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.